Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. What an awesome spirit in the room. What, a, what an awesome opportunity it is to come together with brothers and sisters to experience some time to serve, to worship, and to love our God. And I can't help but realize the fact that while we are all unique, coming in with different experiences this week, coming in with different gifts and passions and expectations even, when we come into this place in one accord, we serve one God, and He gives us the opportunity. And we've been, we've been exploring these spiritual disciplines. We've, he gives us the opportunity to be able to experience Him afresh and anew in many, many different ways. If you'll remember in June, we talked about some of these inward focuses, some of these inward spiritual disciplines and how they impact us and how we can engage with God. We talked about outward spiritual disciplines last month with the the things that we can do outwardly, the actions that we take that are often from an inward transformation, and we do them oftentimes also in community. And this month, just last week, we started with what we've been talking about as forgotten disciplines, disciplines that maybe you and I have not heard much about in our lives. Maybe we haven't practiced a whole lot. Maybe we've heard about them in Scripture. We've seen them before, specifically, uh, you know, taken place in the past in, in, in Christian history. But we don't do them or we don't experience them or we don't see them as much today. Well, let me just say those spiritual disciplines, as God has given them to us as gifts, are no less important and impactful uh, today as they were a thousand years ago or, or whenever they were first practiced or first given to humanity. And so today as we engage specifically in the exploration of another spiritual discipline, may we be open, may we sit, uh, possibly if you'd like to physically sit with with arms open, ready, if you're a note taker this might be tough, but arms wide open, or maybe just our hearts and minds, our eyes, our ears open to the scripture and the word of what God's directing today, may this be an opportunity for us all to experience afresh and anew how God wants to, he's given us the gift and how he wants to connect to us and connect with us in a deeper way. Today we look, if you saw it on the sign or perhaps you have the notes today, we look at this, this, this discipline of fasting. And today particularly I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to start with a little bit of a teaching on what fasting is through a biblical context. And then if you're okay with it, I'm going to preach a little bit. Um, after all, that's, that's what we're here for at this section of the service anyway, so I might as well fill that bill. But as I preach, I want us to think directly and specifically about what it means for us, for you and I individually to practice and to engage in fasting as it pertains to how God calls us to do so. Perhaps today you come in need of a breakthrough. You come in need of a breakthrough in your life spiritually or maybe emotionally or mentally. Maybe there's something going on in your life where you're in need of a breakthrough. In April 2003, an avid mountaineer, Aaron Ralston, goes hiking at Utah's Canyonland National Park without telling anyone where he was going. He befriended hikers Christy and Megan and shows them an underground pool before they head home. After that, Aaron continues on through a slot canyon in Blue John Canyon where climbing a boulder he was hanging on comes loose and causes both him and the boulder to fall. The boulder then traps him in his right arm against the wall. Aaron attempts to move the boulder, but is not able to make it budge. And he also realizes soon 
that he is completely and utterly alone. He shortly begins recording a video diary using his camcorder to maintain morale, and as he chips away at the boulder with a small pocket knife, he counts the moments, the days that he is there trapped. Over the course of the next five days, Aaron rations his food and remains 300 millilitre, and maintains 300 milliliters of water, struggling to keep warm at night and forcing him, even at times, to drink his recycled urine to stay hydrated. He also sets up a pulley system using a climbing rope in a futile attempt to try to lift the boulder. At this point, after five days, Aaron is there and quite literally looking for and recognizing that he needs a change. He needs an intervention. He needs a breakthrough moment. He is literally caught between a rock and a hard place, and he can't get out. And oftentimes in life, particularly in our relationships and in the things that take place in our life and in our, in our jobs or perhaps in our living situation, perhaps spiritually we find ourselves stuck where we can't get that boulder out of the way and we are physically or literally stuck in a place. We are spiritually or mentally or emotionally stuck in a place and for whatever reason we can't chip away at the boulder, we can't move the boulder through our futile attempts, we can't change our own situation. If you're following on your note guide, I think it already came up. Uh, I don't often look at that back screen, but I, I can tell it already has. The first point is this, a breakthrough. A breakthrough is a sudden, dramatic, and important discovery or development. It is a moment of clarity. It's a time where we, where we recognize the impasse or the setback or the digression in our life and we realize that something new, a new paradigm must take place. C.S. Lewis talks about God's pain and, and how he uses pain in our lives sometimes. He doesn't give us that pain, but he uses the pain in our lives as an opportunity to bring our attention to something new. In fact, C.S. Lewis quotes, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but God shouts to us in our pain. You don't have to raise your hand right now, but anybody right now hearing God shout to you in your pain? Perhaps your pain is so loud or your pain is where your focus is that you can't even hear the fact that God is shouting to you right now. But he is using the pain in your life. He's using the setback in your life. He's using the boulder in your life as an attempt to try to get your attention. You need something more. You need something that goes much deeper than perhaps some of the spiritual disciplines we've discussed, maybe even deeper than prayer. You need an unleashing of God in your life where he can change the circumstances that you think are so large that they can never change, they can never move, they can never be different than what you experience in this present moment. As I said, I'm going to start on the practical side, and we're going to talk briefly about fasting. I'm going to answer some basic questions about what it is, and then we're going to explore one of the greatest instances of fasting that we see recorded in Scripture, and that is Jesus going into the desert and being tempted by uh, the evil one. But let's start first by talking about what is fasting. What is fasting? Biblical fasting can be defined as abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. 
In its easiest form, there's a lot of things that we're going to walk through in just a moment, but in its easiest form, the biblical perspective of of fasting is to give us this understanding by abstaining from something physical, something that we typically take for granted that sustains us on a daily basis so that we might grow in our spiritual life for spiritual purposes with God. John Piper, in in his book, Hunger for God, writes, I'm going to read this quote, says, Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. Christian fasting is not only the spontaneous effect of superior satisfaction in God, it's also a chosen weapon against every force in the world that would take that satisfaction away. You see, in a void, there's a demanding for depth. There's a demanding for dependence. And so when we experience the void of having food in our life or having drink in our life or whatever it might be that physically sustains us, that void opens the opportunity for a necessary dependence and depth in something greater. And for us as believers, we recognize that thing greater is our creator, is our God, is the one who loves us, the one who will and can sustain us. Some biblical references to to, to fasting and the purposes of it. In in Luke chapter 4, Jesus fasted to acknowledge his dependence and to gain spiritual strength through his reliance on the Holy Spirit and through God's word as he quoted it. Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1, he fasted for the confession, for repentance and for favor in the sight of the king because he was attempting to try to get permission to go and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He loved his city, he loved his people so much that he fasted to allow God to bring forth a change. David humbled himself before God to intervene for those that were living in a place of injustice. Mordecai and the Jews fasted upon hearing that Haman had this wicked plan, this plot to exterminate their people. The early church fasted while worshiping and committing to their ministry to the Lord. They also sought the Lord through fasting for guidance, for confirmation, for the appointment of new elders. Fasting is, is, it can be read about and can be seen and can be illustrated and can be uh, summarized time and time again through the people of God and a desire on the, on, the, on the position and through the action of the people of God to see God intervene, change, transform, and bring afresh and anew. Why fasting? Why should we fast? If what I just shared through those scriptures is not enough, I'll walk through a few of these. There's right motives that are necessary, specifically in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, he talks about how we should look when we fast and we shouldn't look differently because part of that is is simply just to to put a a spotlight on what we do and ourselves. Instead, fasting is is not about us, but it's about God. The first reason we we fast is we should do so to, to find repentance, It's a a way of engaging in repentance, a way of engaging in recognition of the fact that we are fallen and broken people. And part of the the, the concept of fasting is to show that we and reveal that we are not perfect and that we, we want God to bring forth an opportunity for us to grow. The second thing is is spiritual strength against an enemy's attack. Spiritual strength against the boulder that's specifically in our lives. Spiritual strength against that, that, that specific darkness that you feel, that you experience, that you know that sometimes is so palpable within your own context that you think, man, God, can you, would you, are you able to even intervene in the issues that I'm walking through? The third one is to awaken a spiritual hunger for God. Perhaps your burden today, perhaps your bolder today is that you just kind of have this indifference 
You know, coming out of the pandemic and kind of walking through the summer, you just feel indifferent. You feel kind of blah. And you wonder, God, are you distant from me? Are you around? Are you, are you listening? Are we still, you know, walking through this thing together? And fasting can awaken this spiritual hunger for God that may have been dulled by perhaps desires of other things or maybe just the rigors of life, the busyness of the things that take place. You can also fast to, to test and see what desires the control of our hearts. You can fast to, to engage in, in forfeiting good things so that God can provide the best thing. To express our egg for his return, or perhaps this last one that's in your note guide, to demonstrate our love and desire for God above all things. Sometimes it's tough to miss a meal. Sometimes it's tough to, to go for a little while longer uh, than we typically would even to eat or to, to have a specific meal or to have a snack. But in, in recognition of this physical thing, when we, surpass, when we step away, when we, when we, when we say, I'm not going to engage in, fast, or in food today or I'm not going to engage in this specific thing today, it demonstrates that that's not as important as God in our lives. And then finally, how to practice fasting. Now, this is, this is a larger response to what I'm going to share today, but I'm going to just briefly look at three specific areas of commonly practiced fasting for Christians. The first one is a partial fast. And a partial fast is described in, in specifically uh, one instance in Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel, for three weeks, he abstained from delicacies, from, from meat and from wine. He, he fasted partially. Specific things from his diet were excluded. And therefore, in, in, the, in the midst of that, he still engaged with the, the nourishing food that he had. But at the same time, he recognized that he put aside for us maybe the, the, the brownies or the cake or the ice cream. That last one's tough for me. You guys know that. And as he put those things aside, he was able to fast the, the delicacies and focus on the provider. The second one is a supernatural fast. Now, th this is a, a, a total fast. This is no food, no solid, no liquid, no water. Paul went through an absolute fast for three days following his encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9. In fact, we, we looked at that passage uh, last month. And Moses and Elijah, they went through a supernatural fast for 40 days in Deuteronomy chapter 9. And this is an interesting one as well because if you look at their lives, you think about 40 days with no food or water, that is supernatural. There would have had to have been an intervention from God to be able to sustain them for that period of time. What I will say specifically as we look at practicing fasting, that there, is some, some, there are some physical implications, some physical things that you have to look at as you engage in this. And I am not a dietitian, I'm not a doctor, but I will say that it is important to step into it with the, the knowledge and understanding of how your body will react and what things will take place within the context of what it means to fast uh, and what it means to practice fasting, particularly one where you abstain from uh, all food or all water. And the last one, the third one that I want to mention is a complete fast. And a complete fast is similar to a natural fast. However, with a complete fast, there's this reality that you can still drink water or particularly in this case, you can also drink juice based upon what you're, you're able to do. But the reality for this one is, is simply to, to go without solids, to go without the solid food that you might have so that you might find your nourishment and your connection with God.
There are many others, and there's several others that I would say are specifically highlighted within the context of Scripture. But as we look at what it means to fast, it's not necessarily as much about the practical or about specifically what it is and has everything to do with the spiritual, with the desire of the heart, with what you give up, so to speak. And you know right now, just as well as I do, sometimes fasting isn't even about food. It might be fasting media or social media. It might be fasting some specific activity that you do. And it's, it's, it's putting aside something specifically so that you might be able to focus on God. And whatever came to mind when I mentioned that or when we kind of walk through this practice, maybe it's a food, maybe it's an activity, maybe it's something specific, that specifically, it came to mind for whatever reason, it came to mind so that you might see, okay, here's a place where I could fast. All right, we've looked at at the practical, and I, I, I recognize that that was a lot of just kind of data entry. Let's look at what Scripture has to say directly and specifically through the person and practice of Jesus. I'll tell you now so that you can mark your your Bible if you want to open it or if you're going to uh, use your smart device as well. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 4 today. And Matthew chapter 4 specifically highlights Jesus' experience after he goes through his baptism as he's beginning to really step into his real ministry here on earth. And as Jesus is doing so, he's realizing and recognizing the fact that while he is God, he also needs the power of God the Father within him to be able to step into a world that is broken, that is full of darkness, a world that you and I recognize in this case is ruled by the evil one. And so as he's stepping into this, As he's walking through this measure and as he's stepping into this new uh, endeavor on his own, he doesn't do so actually literally on his own, but instead he does so with the power of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' preparation into the ministry is one that can be highlighted by his practice and by the rhythms of the spiritual disciplines that he actually literally practiced himself. I'm going to do something a little bit interesting today. I've never done this before as far as preaching, but I'm going to start with the end and back up. And the reason I'm going to do that, and if you saw that in your notes already and thought, oh, what a typo. The reason I'm going to do that is because I want us to recognize the action that takes place and the actions that Jesus walks through. And as we back up to recognize as we get closer to the climax, which actually is in the start for this sermon, which is in the start of the passage, we recognize and see where the power comes from and how it is enveloped throughout the course of Jesus's action here. And so we're going to start actually, uh, to start with, we're going to start actually in verse 8. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 reads, Again the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And as he quoted those words, as he's quoted that scripture back to Satan, there was this recognition that that fully enveloped real scripture cannot, real truth cannot be in the same place as the evil one. And so there in verse 11, it says, then the devil left him. And I love this because I feel like it's a tail between the legs type situation. If you've seen the cartoon devil, you know he has a tail, right? And he walks away with his head down, recognizing that he had been beaten. He had been beaten by the one who is, you know, the worthy adversary. For, for, for God, Satan is not a worthy adversary, but for, for Satan, he walks away dejected. 
And the angels came and they attended to him, attended to Jesus. It's interesting as we read this, we start with the most intense temptation here. Out of the three temptations that we're going to read about today, we start with the most in, uh, intense one. Satan is attempting to fix Jesus' gaze on something else, on something shiny, on something glamorous, on something uh, in this world that, that he would uh, totally and indefinitely want, which was the pride of owning everything. The pride of saying, okay, I am the ultimate. I am the one. And, and, and Jesus already knew that he had all this power, but we recognize that through his humility, he steps forward as one who serves, as we talked about with, with the foot washing. He's one that serves and loves. Jesus fights Satan here by quoting scripture, by quoting truth. And ultimately the point under this one is that fasting recalibrates us to focus back to the one who merits our worship. Fasting calibrates us to focus back to the one who merits our worship. That's an interesting statement, an interesting concept, because you and I both know that oftentimes in life, and we can be honest here today, right? We can be honest in this place. Oftentimes in life, there's something that kind of comes in, and we call these temptations, and, and often these temptations are shiny, right? Maybe a, a shiny thing that kind of gets put into our, into our peripheral or maybe right in front of us, a shiny thing. And sometimes we tend to turn our head or we tend to, to, to shift our focus towards whatever that shiny thing might be. And as temptations come and as shiny things are dangled, it, it, it almost appears that our, our focus shifts and that God for whatever reason, while he's still there, while he's still on the throne, while he's still all-powerful, he allows us to follow the steps of our own journey, our own path. I'm often amazed at, at the, the concept of fishing when you use a lure, right? I, I understand putting a worm or a minnow or something alive on a hook and putting it in the water and the fish says, oh, that looks delicious, right? I wouldn't eat the same thing that they eat, but I eat them, which doesn't make sense. But anyway, so they, they come and they, they will bite on that, that, that fish uh, or that, that minnow or that, that worm or that leech or whatever you put on the fin. But it, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I just can't grasp it. Why a fish would be so interested if I were to throw just a shiny spoon or a colorful little piece of metal with a hook on it into the water... And that fish has all the vegetation, all the little things around, and for whatever reason, instead of eating something nourishing and good and something that's going to help it, it goes after that shiny thing that turns out to be a, quote, bait and switch. And for whatever reason, I can't help but realize that at the same time, we as people, we as human beings, from time to time, will see something shiny out there with all the nourishment that God wants to give us, with all the truth that he has before us, with all the love that he can grant from the other believers that are even in the room or those that we know or, or whatever it might be. And for whatever reason, we see that shiny thing dangling out there, flying through our path. And for whatever reason, it averts our attention. It averts where we're at and we begin to follow it. And I know that you know, for, for whatever reason, those shiny things can be larger, smaller for each one of us. But I can't help but fault that fish. I can't help but throw stones at that fish. And sometimes I do throw stones when I'm not doing very good fishing. I throw a couple of stones just to let them know I'm still here. But I can't help but throw stones at that fish. I, 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 I find myself in the same place when that shiny thing is bouncing out there. 
But for whatever reason, God grants us opportunities through spiritual disciplines, particularly through fasting, to be able to recalibrate. To see that the shiny things out there are just simply that, shiny things, temptations that Satan has put into our path. And at the same time, when we fast, when we, when we take this time to step aside, God gives us, he grants us the opportunity through his word to be able to experience him afresh and anew and a real and fulfillment. The second passage, the second part of the passage that we're going to look at is the the middle temptation, so to speak. Verse 5 reads like this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Amazingly enough, here Satan actually shows his intelligence, and and he reveals to Jesus, and then us as the readers, as Matthew has scribed these for us to read as well, the fact that he knew scripture too. In fact, he quoted scripture. In fact, right here, he's, he's revealing to Jesus this truth of, hey, look, you can fulfill this scripture right now if you would go ahead and do what I have called you to do. And as he does so, he's attempting to express this reality. This, this prophecy could be fulfilled right here in this moment. Don't you want to do what God has? Don't you want to step forward and be the, the person that, that you were called to, to be? And here Jesus recognizes the fact that he's attempting to try to manipulate him. He's recognizing the fact that Satan's attempting to try to bring some sort of agenda along, and he recognizes by saying, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In essence, do not miss the point of the scripture. Do not take it and wield it for what you would have it be wielded for, for, for your sake, for what you want. And the same thing is true with fasting. Do not use it for your own agenda. Instead, he recognizes the fact that this engagement that he's walking through, this engagement that he's doing uh, while he's allowing uh, Satan to attempt to try to attack him is not for himself. It's not for what he wants. Instead, he allows God's plan to unfold. And the second point is this, fasting brings clarity to the truth. Fasting brings clarity to the truth. Satan is the master of lies. And he will attempt to even twist scripture so that it might be his will. You've probably looked at scripture before, perhaps you've had someone else read it before, and you've you've walked through scripture before, and 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 you see different things. Maybe you see them a different way that you've read them in the past, and sometimes you might look at it and say, oh, I've never seen that before. I've never been able to experience it before. And most of the time, or in a lot of regards, that's because you're in a different frame of life than you were when you read it before, and the Spirit's speaking to you in a new way. That's a little bit different than what Satan's attempting to try to do here, which is he's attempting to try to take the scripture and use it for his own agenda, which you probably have heard that before as well. Where somebody quotes one verse out of context, and when they use that verse, they're doing so to try to prove their point. That's called proof texting, or that's when somebody says, okay, I've got a point in mind that I want to prove, so I'm going to get on the internet and I'm going to find a verse that proves what I want. He's trying to obtain the cause for a need here, the need to fulfill this power of God. And what Jesus says to him is, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Not too long ago, I was hiking with, uh, with a couple of my, my kids, with my boys, and we came along uh, a, a, what I would call a weed in the grass. And all of a sudden, there were several that were there, and, and I could recognize right away that this weed was intriguing. It was a shiny thing to one of my kids. And as he looked at the plants there, he could see that these weeds had little balls on them, and the little balls were light green with little dark green stripes on them. Now, I must mention that this son also loves watermelon. And as he looked at those little plants, he said to me, Dad, look, there's some wild watermelon plants. Let's pick them and eat them. And the first thing I thought is, I don't know what that is. I don't know where it came from. I know that I have in the past heard that there are many things that while they look delicious, they are poisonous. And I said, son, that's not how watermelon grow. Even if they are watermelon, they won't be big enough. And I went through this whole list of why we shouldn't eat the watermelon. Watermelon. I did air quotes if you're joining us in the podcast. Why should we not eat this? Here's all the reasons. Here's all the things. And then eventually he just said, but they look good. Let's eat them. <laughs> and I thought to myself, being a pastor and taking everything I can and turning it into an illustration, right? I thought to myself, how often do we do that spiritually? Or it may not be true. It may not be the case. It may not be exactly what scripture says or what God's saying to us. But hey, it's our truth. Looks good to me. I'm just going to do it. But when we engage in fasting, when we engage in this concept of allowing God to spiritually change us, to transform us, the little watermelons become apparent to us that they are not for our consumption. In fact, clarity of the truth comes to the forefront, to the, to the, to the reality of it doesn't matter what we believe, truth is truth. And if you want to know what the truth is, it's right here. It's for us in this gift that each of us have been allotted. Think about the reality of, of what we have here. The Holy Spirit inspired this to be written thousands of years ago, over, this, over the course of thousands of years, and then compiled for us in our language, for us to be able to have right here in our hands, or perhaps for you on your smart device so that you can pull it up anytime, anywhere. I think, man, that is, that is really convicting to think about the reality that I have questions about anything ever. As if to say that God hasn't already given us his truth, his love, his, his, his letter, his, his instruction. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 3 and 4 read like this. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Then the devil, excuse me, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the simplest and most basic temptation right here. Satan is attempting to attack Jesus with his physical needs with physical nourishment. 
Satan is attacking him with the, the, the physical need of saying, okay, I recognize that you have gone without food and therefore you are hungry, so I will attempt to try to feed you. I will give you your nourishment. I will fill that void in your life. Now Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun, recognizing the fact that he's tried them all. There is nothing that's going to fill you in this world. The wisest person's ever lived. There's nothing that's going to fill you in this world. And Satan comes along here and says, oh, except for the bread that I can give you right now, if you would like some. And this third point is fasting aligns the priority of spiritual needs over physical needs. Fasting aligns the, realigns the priority of spiritual needs over physical needs. It's interesting that at this point, that this is not the first time that Satan has used this tactic. You guys know that? No, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the book, back in the, in the beginning of it all, when the world began, Satan used this same tactic. Why not try it again if you're him, really, right? If you think about it, because it worked the first time that he tried it. When he was in this tree and he was talking to these first two people, it was all kind of new. Everything had just started out. There was this perfect environment. And he starts talking to this lady and he says, hey, you know what? I, I can see that you're hungry. And yeah, if you want to be like God, if you want to know him better, here's a great way to do it. Just eat them, this fruit from this tree right here. And unlike Jesus, she kind of said, okay, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And she did it. And then, her, and then her husband did it as well. And Adam and Eve, they were the two that brought this sin into the world. And here Satan sees Jesus, which in many cases metaphorically is the second Adam. And he sees Jesus and he says, you know what? You're tired. You're hungry. I'm going to try this one more time. And as he does so, and he try, attempts to try to grant this, this specific need that he knows Jesus has, he sa Jesus says to him, man shall not live on bread alone. He quotes this scripture, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, the physical things of life are simply physical things, but the thing that will sustain you beyond this world, because you and I, we were created to be physical beings, but we were also created eternal beings, meaning that we have an existence beyond this world. And therefore, that existence is sustained and nourished and made new and real through the person and the power of Jesus. And finally, the climax of it all starts in verse 1. It reads like this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This setup is the moment of refocus, of clarity. Jesus was led by the Spirit into this place. And after fasting, get this, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was, was, was starving. He was at a place where he wanted to eat, where he needed nourishment. And in that moment of weakness, in that time where he was open, there was this opportunity for him to be able to experience something much deeper than mere food. And the point is this, fasting cultivates a hunger for God. There was this deep hunger within him to, to reach out through scripture, through engagement, through being in the presence of God and saying, God, I need you in a deeper way because I can't sustain, I can't lift this boulder on my own. And it was through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the presence of the Holy Spirit that he was able to sustain the temptations and grow deeper in his relationship with his father, the one who sent him. 
This paradigm shift is amazing. It's deep and it's beyond anything we can experience by simply just showing up on a Sunday morning or being part of a small group or even serving. Instead, it's something much deeper as we fully engage with God and allow him to fill us in a greater way, much deeper than anything that we could experience in this life. So should we fast? Yes. Why should we fast? We should fast because Jesus not only encouraged it, but he demonstrated it. Get this. Jesus demonstrates what it means to fast and the outcome of what fasting can do. We do so to experience a greater depth with him. The bottom line is this. The ultimate goal of fasting is to engage in a deeper, more intimate relationship with our God. A deeper, more intimate relationship with our God. And as we sit here in this moment, I I bring back that story that I started at the beginning. And we see that Aaron Ralston is stuck there in that cavern by himself with a boulder holding his right arm, his, 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 his dominant arm against the wall. And says, throughout the days, Aaron becomes desperate. And depressed and begins hallucinating about escape, relationships, and past experience, including his his family and his former girlfriend. And during one hallucination, Aaron realizes that his mistake was that he did not tell anyone where he was going and how long he would be gone. On the sixth day, Aaron had a vision of his future son spurring him to survive. And he fashioned a tourniquet from his camelback tube insulator and used a, a carabiner to tighten it. And then using his knowledge of a tourniquet, he broke his bone of his arm and amputated his forearm. I spare you the details there. Aaron then wrapped the stump to prevent uh, expensiation and takes a picture of the boulder before rappelling down 65 feet to the rock face. He finds some rainwater, collected it, and, and, and descending down and, and drinks the stagnant water due to dehydration. He continues, back in the desert, he spots a family on a hike and calls for help. And they give him water and alert the authority. A Utah Highway Patrol helicopter brings him to the hospital and he is saved. How did this start again? Let me just read once again. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I don't know if the Spirit has led you into a place of the wilderness. I don't know where or how you've gotten to the place that you're at today, but you might be in the wilderness right now. Maybe not in some huge monumental way where you just lost someone really close to you or where you lost a job or, or something huge in your life, but maybe in a small way or maybe in a very big way spiritually, you're just stuck in the wilderness, struggling with loss, dealing with unbelief or with doubt in your life. Maybe you're burning with anger or unforgiveness towards somebody Maybe you're gripped with fear, or with worry for the future or the present. Stuck in a place with no growth. Maybe you're far from God today. Maybe you're angry with God. Oftentimes we need to deprive ourselves of what we think we want most. And we need to let God be the one to move the boulder. 
It's interesting as I look at this story and I think about the, this was a, uh, th- that was the premise of the movie that was based on the true story of, of Aaron Rolleston. I can't help but realize the fact that the thing that he needed to eliminate was something that he thought so dear, so important, but it was a thing specifically that was holding him back. And once it was eliminated, he was able to be filled with this freedom, f- released from the boulder that was holding him down. And for us, perhaps in this moment today, there's a physical thing in our lives. Maybe it's a relationship or maybe it is food that we need to fast to allow God to bring us real and lasting freedom. It's even based on that when we look at our lives spiritually when we come to Jesus. Conversion is all about laying down the things that we believe to be important, the things in our lives that we believe to be the, 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 the anchor for our soul, for our spirit, for what we are, and recognizing the fact that God is the only one that can provide that freedom, that reconciliation through our, 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 our realization of our, of our brokenness, of our spiritual death, and saying, God, you are the only way. It's true, I don't know how you came in today. I don't know, uh, unless you shared with me this morning, which is only a few of you, you know, what happened this week. I don't know where you're at uh, deep down spiritually. I don't know what your relationship with Christ looks like in this moment. But what I can say is God has provided many channels, particularly this one of fasting. He's demonstrated it. He's revealed it. He's shown us the way and given us opportunity to be able to experience him much deeper that we could ever imagine. I'm gonna pray for us now. And I wanna encourage each one of us in this room to take a moment to reflect upon what God might be calling us, you, me to do. What breakthrough do you need this morning? What thing are you holding on to? What boulder is holding you back? And how might you allow God through the practice of some type of fasting, maybe a meal, maybe a day, maybe three days, maybe a complete fast, maybe a supernatural fast, maybe a partial fast so that God can speak to your heart. If you've been walking through the same thing time and time again for weeks and weeks and months and months and things haven't changed, maybe it's time to try something new. Maybe it's time to stop trying and allow God to work. Maybe the boulder's too big. Let me just tell you, it's not too big for him. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.